Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to another edition of Football Extra Points on our sports radio. All right, I'm your host, Scott King, and you're listening to another edition of uh, Football Extra Points on our sports radio. And we are going to be continuing our work on the draft tonight. So uh, we have a, a special guest coming on, uh, Drew Boyhart. He's the author of the book, Draftnik, and he's been covering the draft for... Uh, I think almost 30 years now. So he uh, has a lot of history and and really involved in it. So I think that'll be a good uh, good conversation tonight. We'll have on the draft and and the history there. Um, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can call in. The number is three two three nine two seven two nine zero six. And like I said, we'll be talking about the draft tonight and continuing. Um, discussions as we get through this off season for the NFL. So it's an, an exciting time, and, and we're all of us that are fans are just waiting, uh, analyzing every bit of information we can as we get closer to the draft for each one of our teams. Uh, we're in the middle of the off season schedule. Today was a pretty important day. It was the uh, last day that teams could franchise tag some players. So we'll talk about that here in a second. The next big date, which is a huge date, is March the 12th. And that's going to be the day when the league year starts. So that's when we get clubs officially signing free agents. There's going to be a lot of uh, cuts between now and then. And as soon as that league year kicks off, uh, we're going to see guys getting signed and, and really a flurry after these free agents. So it'll be interesting. Uh, some guys that are off the market uh, would be uh, Alex Smith, who has never really uh, looked like as a free agent, but he was signed. I'm sorry, he was traded for to the Chiefs. Uh, the Falcons made a bunch of cuts last week. They cut Michael Turner, uh, Abraham, and Donta Robinson. Not a big surprise there. Turner was was one of those running backs getting up there in age. Abraham's not been able to be on the field and. Robinson, I think, was uh, uh, underperformed his contract, I guess. You know, guys like to talk about when they outplay their contract and and uh, want a new contract. Well, he, he's an example of somebody who, who underperformed their contract. Uh, the Smith trade is interesting because not only did the Chiefs trade for Alex Smith, they made some other big moves this week. Uh, they signed Wayne Bow, did not franchise tag him, so they were able to keep him. And they uh, they tagged their tackle, Albert, 
um, left tackle, which is really a big move there and and affects the top end of the draft. You know, Brandon Albert was uh, somebody that looked for a while like he was going to be moving on from Kansas City, but they would not be re-signing him or tagging him. And that made Luke Jokel the kind of the the guy separating himself at the top end of the draft. And now that they've they've tagged um, Albert in Kansas City at the tackle position, I think that opens up the draft even more than it ha- than it was before. And you've got um, you know players that are now in play like uh, Star Latulale, depending on his health situation. You've got, um, you know, they could still go tackle and pick uh, Jokel or Fisher and and maybe move Albert somewhere else or start off one of those rookies at right tackle and then move them to left tackle over time. So um, really interesting. It really keeps the draft wide open. This year's draft is going to be, you know, a deep draft at a lot of positions, no real star players, no – no um, Andrew Luck or RG3, but some teams are really going to have an opportunity to build their teams in the trenches, build up their defenses, build up their offensive lines, and really build towards the future. Um, and, and that's really, really exciting um, for those of us that uh, don't have teams that are on their way to the Super Bowl. So we had eight players pick up the tags, like I mentioned uh um, Brandon Albert, sorry, with Kansas City. He was the big one. Uh, some other names here and there. Ryan Claddy in Denver. He, uh, obviously a solid tackle there, so that was a good call. Um, Bengals uh, tagged Michael Johnson, the D-end out of Georgia Tech there. So um, a lot of guys didn't get tagged that we thought were going to. So that's uh, that's interesting. And Dwayne Bow got signed. Uh, Jake Long with the Dolphins, he's going to be out on the street. Greg Jennings is out on the street. So we'll see what happens. Um, Wes Welker's out on the street. It's going to be uh, going to be an interesting time in, in free agency. See what teams do to build themselves. So um, you know that that's that's going to be an interesting time here starting uh, starting next week when the league year starts on the 12th. So I mentioned uh, Kansas City, they're shaking things up at the top end of the draft. You know, what is that going to do now for uh what is that going to do for Jacksonville at number 2? You know, do they do they get one of these tackles? Obviously, someone was going to be available if they want to go left tackle, do they want to go defense? <laughs> Excuse me, they've got a lot of holes. They do need to, do need a quarterback. Uh, Blaine Gabbard, that experiment is out. Um, you know, they've got Maurice Jones-Drew, who's coming to the end of his career, or at least the back half of his career. And if they can open up some holes and give him some tools to, to help out, that would be great. But um, I still think Geno Smith is not a top-five quarterback. I think he's going to be overvalued and, and reached on um, because of the lack of quarterbacks in this draft. So that's um, that's going to be unfortunate. Uh, but up there at the top, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of talent to be had on both sides of the ball. No running backs, probably in the first half of the first round, uh, which is just kind of uh, a sign of the times here in the league. So 
teams are going to two and three back systems, which doesn't uh, doesn't warrant a top notch first round running back. If, if there was somebody out there that that was a game changer, they might get drafted. But at this point, these guys are just going to fill some roles. So um, you're listening to Football Extra Points. I'm your host Scott King, uh, part of the Yard Barker Network. You can find my site footballextrapoints.com if you're looking for my work and um, we're broadcasting here part of RF Sports Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation about the draft and your team, where you think they're headed, if if your team franchised somebody or, or didn't, um, we could discuss that. The number is 323-927-2906. Uh, this evening, uh, I mentioned earlier, we've got our uh, guest coming on to discuss the draft and his take on it, and also Drew's book, uh, The Draft Nick. So uh, that'll be a, a great conversation as we lead into the draft. A couple other things we're keeping an eye on. Uh, pro days have started, so we've already got a few smaller uh, schools out of the way. Purdue, uh, Minnesota uh, had theirs <laughs> excuse me, today. And then coming up, we've got Auburn, uh, Wisconsin this week, Clemson, Missouri, Miami. So these things really get picking up and and get moving quickly. So we'll be uh, keeping an eye on these as we go. A couple of ones that are highlighted, especially after the combines out of the way, we've got uh, Notre Dame, which their pro day comes the second half of the season. I was just looking at it on my list here and I've lost it. Yeah, here we go. March 26th, Notre Dame. And obviously the big one that, that, uh, a big name that needs to do some big improvements by their pro day is Manti Teo. Uh, extremely underperformed at the draft. He's a very slow 4-8-1-40. Looks stiff in drills. Now, this is a guy that was invited to the Heisman Trophy ceremony and somebody who was talked about all season long. And, and for me, I just don't see the talent there. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but uh, when I saw him up against first-round talent offensive linemen in Alabama, which I think we've got two or three of them going in the first round, he just got swallowed up and disappeared. And, and I think um, nothing personal against the guy. I don't even care about his off-the-field issues. Um, I just think he's going to disappear in the NFL. And he was a good story and gets some press there for Notre Dame. And that's great. And people like talking about him. But, you know, at this point, um, I, I just don't think he's got a whole lot going on in the NFL. So it's uh, hopefully people stop talking about his off-the-field issues and move on. So, um, all right, well, uh, we've got tonight's uh, guest on. Drew is on the line. We're going to talk uh, about the draft and, and his book and, and kind of his take on things. So he's he's been following the draft for a long time. So always great to get, get his perspective. Uh, how are you doing tonight, Drew? Very good. How are you? Thank you for having me on tonight. No problem. I'm doing great. Um, just kind of continuing our, our discussions here on the combine and the draft and getting ready. And I know you've been following this for a really long time and uh, appreciate you taking some time to come on and, and talk about the draft and, and share a little bit about your book. Uh, yeah, no problem. I, I, I wrote the book to, uh, kind of explain to people that uh, we draft Knicks out here uh, 
although we're not scouts and we're not GMs, we've been following for so long uh, that we know a little bit more than they think we do. And uh, I thought maybe uh, writing the book and explaining to everybody, uh, uh, you know, that uh, this hobby is a little bit more than a hobby. It's a passion. It's an addiction. Uh, and, um, you know, when you have a passion and an addiction, you have a tendency to uh, to uh, try to educate yourself as, as much as possible uh, without uh, over-educating yourself, I should say. So uh, that's why I wrote the book. It's called The Draftnik. Uh, it's been out now on Amazon. It's doing pretty pretty good. And uh, I, I think it's, you know, I try to give it the best of both worlds, a little personal stuff in there and then a little educational as far as the uh, draft and how we do the draft on thehuddlereport.com, which is uh, a lot different than most uh, sites do. And uh, we use a two-board system, which is uh, unique and uh talks about the value of positions uh, and how that inter, interweaves with uh, talent, and uh, that's why you get uh, players drafted later in the rounds that are fantastic, and that's how you get players drafted in the beginning of the rounds that are horrible. So um, that's what the book tries to explain, along with some little personal stuff uh, for myself. Well, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I saw your uh, uh, two-board system you guys talked about on your site, and and actually, you go back and and you you've ranked uh, the success, I guess, of guys and and how they predict the draft. It, at what point do you start putting your boards together? Is it um, a year in advance, or once the college season starts? At what point do you really get serious about putting your board together? Well, my board is continuous. It's it's constantly being done. All right, it's the talent board. And the talent board tells you the talent of a player, not necessarily where a player is is valued in the draft. For instance, uh, a perfect example is the quarterbacks this year. If you have a second grade on a quarterback, his value is that of a first rounder, all right? Because the value of the position is so dramatic and so needed that you you don't reach for these players, but you have to draft them earlier then you would you would allow say other other uh, uh positions to be drafted a guard or uh, a a safety or even a linebacker for that issue okay so uh, an example here is is Matt Barkley somebody said to me um he has second round skills recently i said i don't have a clue what that means i mean i've been following the draft for 30 years what do you mean second round skills does, that doesn't compute to me. You're putting, you're saying you would draft him in the second round. That's fine. But his talent, how he plays his position, is that of an impact ball player. Uh, whether you agree with that or not is fine. We can argue with that all you want. But his position and his value and his talent is that of an impact ball player. Therefore, he's a top ten pick. Now, I come from the business world, and I look at things from the business aspect, as an owner would look at things. I'm not going to pass on a possible franchise player because he may have, quote-unquote, second-round talent. If he's still a possible franchise player but needs more developing, I'm not going to take the chance and pass on him. Therefore, I'm going to push him into the first round and push him into the top ten because his value is more. So the talent is talent. But the value to the team needs the value of position, uh, how how a team plays defenses, defense, 
offense, spread offense, pistol offense, so forth and so on. That dictates where a, a player will be drafted. The, va- the talent dictates how well they'll do, how well we think they'll do in the NFL. So that's the two-board system. You marry those two together, and you'll see if you look on the left-hand side or the right-hand side, you'll see there are players that, I'm, that may be in the top ten that I have a third or second round grade on. That just means if you read the profile, they may need some development time. That's what that means. But you can't pass on Geno Smith. Even though he needs development time, if you want him, you better pick him quick. And that's the value of the two-board system. That's how we work it. Okay. So so you look at it as not as much uh, overvaluing the quarterback position, like, for example, in this year's draft, but – um, teams just have to fill the need that they they have, and and the guy's not going to be around come the second day of the draft. So if you need that quarterback, you better grab him now because if you wait around, he's gone. And, and not only that, we we look at it uh, another way. If you if you trade back into the first round to pick up the quarterback that you think is not a top ten pick, aren't you paying more for that quarterback? You are. You're paying more in mm-hmm. choices. You're losing the value of picking that player in the first place. So what have you accomplished by saying, well, I'm going to pick Ryan Nesbitt in the 20th pick in the draft rather than the 8th pick of the draft? Well, if you have to trade back into the round to get the 20th pick of the, pa- uh, pick of the draft, then you're paying a premium, and you're paying more than if you just uh, emotionally uh, and, and physically, you're paying more than if you just picked him at number 8. Just pick him at number eight. If he needs an extra year of development, fine. You know, they said this about Ryan Tannehill last year, and I said, guys, you're nuts. Jake Locker and Ryan Tannehill are are top ten picks. Well, why are they top ten picks? Because of the position they play. Well, they don't have the talent. Well, can the talent be developed? Is the talent there? Yes. Then you pick them. You don't wait until the second round to pick them. You have to pick them at that point. You're not going to be there in the second round. Sure. Um, one thing I was talking about just just a few minutes before you came on was um, the fact that the running back position is, has kind of changed in the NFL, and teams are running these two back systems, and and now um, you know there's not really a, a running back in most drafts I've seen picked in the first half of the first round. Is that a trend you've seen in recent years where the running back position? Um, it has, has changed in the NFL, so how they're drafted, you know you're not getting these Adrian Petersons up in the top five anymore. It, it's kind of shifted to where guys are, teams are picking up guys later, first round, even second, third round, to fill these very specialty roles. Well, I, I think what you're, what you're saying is that the really good running backs are still being picked early. Trent Richardson was picked early. Adrian Peterson was picked early. C.J. Spiller was picked early. When you have running backs that, are, that you really can't differentiate that much between them, they start dropping because the value you can get, it's like the wide receivers this year. You're going to see that value drop a little bit, even though they're great players, because there's so many of them, and it's really hard to kind of differentiate between them and their talents. So people will start to push them to the back. The good players will always get picked high, period, end of discussion. It's not going to change. Running back position, they keep saying, well, it's devalued, it's devalued. It's not devalued. It's 
it's the fact that you, if if players don't show on the field that they're different from another player, Eddie Race, Eddie Lacy, this year, if he doesn't show that he has four three speed or four four speed, then he's not that much different from the other players. He's just a little bigger. But if he goes to his his, his pro day and he hits that four three or that four four, and he's two hundred and thirty pounds and he's six foot. Everybody's going to say, "Well, I got to have him a little early." All of a sudden, he's going to jump up because he has cha- he has shown that he has the potential to be different. So, the the fact that we don't see that many running backs anymore changing, uh, be, being different. There there are a ton of them this year. Um, I, I'm going to look at a few. I just I just looked at one uh, from my, I think it was Wisconsin. I had. Uh, and let me just run through here. Okay, Rex Burke, Burkhart, Burkhead from Nebraska. He's an outstanding talent, but is he any different than than Mike Gillespie from Florida? Well, not really. They're, they're not that much different. It's the same kind of player. Uh, it's whether he fits your system or not. LeVon Bell, well, he didn't do really anything in the combine to separate him from anybody else. Does he really change any? Marcus Lattimore, he's had so many injuries. So, see, you can you can start seeing my point is that these players, Steve, Stephen Taylor, who I consider the best running back in this draft, didn't separate himself from the rest of the guys by his speed or doing something on the field that, that shocked people or, or made people think that he was better than anybody else. So that's why you start seeing these guys, too, that may make the first round would be Lacey and, and uh, Giovanni Bernard because they kind of separated themselves from the rest of them. Monty Ball, I thought, would run much faster, but he didn't seem to. And it, 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 he, of course, is limited in other aspects uh, blocking-wise and stuff. But um, unless a running back separates himself from the pack, then he'll be in the pack, and that's where the pack will be. And that's you're still getting good running backs. You're still getting... Uh, you know, teams have Joe Flacco had to have a good running game all year, or else he couldn't perform. It was only when he went to the two games in in the uh, playoffs in the Super Bowl that he seemed to to get out of that uh, uh, need of a of a running back game to uh, to to have their offense strike. But uh, that's the situation with the running backs, and it's just a cycle that goes on. You know, I've been watching it for 30 years, and great running backs come, and, and then there'll be plenty of drafts where we'll go on the road where there won't be that many running backs. That's all there is to it. Sure. So, so looking at the draft this year, where, where do you see the deepest position? It seems like there's a lot of uh, offensive and defensive linemen, especially there in that first half, kind of front seven defensive players. Where do you see the deepest uh, unit going into this draft? Well, there is a lot of defensive players. There's no doubt about that, um, you know, in the first and second round. And when you say they're deep, you say first and second round. Uh, the cornerbacks and the safeties are deep. Again, first and second round. They're they're going to be filtered all over the place. But that doesn't mean that a second-round guy, I, I think that Jamar Taylor out of Boise State is, is one of the top corners in this draft, and everybody's suggesting he won't go till the second round. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But you can see that there's a lot of, you know, corners. And if there's a run on corners in the first round where they start to be taken, then six of them could be taken in the first round. If they decide that they want to take the offensive lineman instead, then, then they'll drop back a little bit. Uh, you were talking about uh, Teo before, we, we, uh, before I came on. 
Um, you know, Teo is a little bit of a wild card right now. He was always rated too high by everybody, in my opinion. Middle linebackers historically don't go until the 20s in, in most drafts, even if they're great. And you can go back, and uh, it's very rare. Uh, last year, the Panthers took one very early. Um, you know, I, 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 again, was one of these people that felt that, gee, that was awful high to take a guy who catches people after they after they pass the line of scrimmage. But, uh, you know, that that seems to be the style now that, that uh, coaches seem to want. You know, Patrick Willis, Hughley, you know, these guys, they, they don't really make plays. They make tackles. Well, that's fine. You know, I kind of want my middle linebacker to make plays. Teo seems to make plays, and he seems to disrupt, and he seems to be in the middle of things all the time. And you have a tendency to say to you know that's the kind of guy you want on your field in the middle of the field. Um, you know, if he runs better, that's fine. If he doesn't run better, well, maybe he'll go in the second round. But um, his instincts are there, his quickness is there, his ability to uh, to yeah. I mean, he got seven interceptions this year. It's you know one one game does not make a player bad. They ran through uh, Lewis Nix the third. Who I considered one of the best defensive tackles in the in the uh, in the league this year in the in the college games this year, uh, Alabama ran right through him all day long. Um, yeah, Teo didn't have an answer for it at all. Neither did his coaches. Uh, they didn't change anything up. There was a defensive end that's been killing people all year long uh, for Notre Dame, young kid. Uh, he didn't show up. So. It wasn't just Teo that didn't show up. The whole damn team never showed up on that game. They got they got whipped really good, and um, and it sure it has an effect on where a person should be drafted. Um, there's no doubt about that. But um, well, middle linebackers don't go. I, you know, Kuiper came out and said he was the best player in the draft at one point. Like Chance Womack is the best player in the draft. I'm sorry, I you know those those positions don't warrant that that aspect of it you know they would have to be absolutely super super special in just about everything they did for you to say that Teo was the first best player in the draft or Chance Womack is the best player in the draft and neither of those players are absolutely perfect in what they do and the positions they play are not as valued high on most people's boards as other positions so they never really go that high yeah, you, you don't you don't see guards drafted uh first overall. It's it's one of those positions that uh you know, th- at least from the fans perspective, they they expect you can you can grab those guys later on and and make an impact, but uh you know, teams like San Francisco and Baltimore who are in the Super Bowl have really solid offensive lines and and probably two of the best in the league, especially there in the playoffs. So, um it may not be an exciting pick, but teams need to get that talent there. But yeah, definitely not at the the first overall pick in the draft. That's for sure. Yeah, and, and when um, you think about it, I mean, the, your top ten pick has to sell tickets. It has to put fannies in, in the seats. It has to get people excited. It's the start of a bad team trying to make themselves better. Think about that. So I pick a guard. Yeah. You know, it, yep, it doesn't exactly. work. Not only that, you pick a guard who can't play center, or can't, who may have to, in my opinion, will have to be moved over to right guard because he, he's he's on the small side and he's not that great a pass blocker. Um, everybody who, who looks at him insists that I'm crazy about that statement. 
and I'll be proven right or wrong as we go along. Uh, but if I'm correct, you would pick him as the first pick in the draft, the right guard? You know, it was last year we had Deca- uh, the kid from Stanford that everybody insisted he was a top ten pick. I can only tell you one thing. They got very good agents. That's what I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So uh, every year, you know, the draft, as you're following it, do you see in the first round just that shocking uh, a pick? I, I was reading in your book where you, you threw your cereal at the at the TV when the Bills took, uh, I think it was Maven, the, the DN. Yeah. Is there uh, every year as you're watching the draft unfold, do you see some pick by a team where you're just thinking, wow, these guys are, are so far off it doesn't even make, make any sense? Yeah, there, there's quite a bit this year. I mean, I, I've been talking to Rob about this and saying, geez, I, I hope that, you're, that your board flips because there's a lot of twos and threes on the talent board uh, uh, part of the uh, two-board system that I've got there. You know, Luke Jokel, um, in my opinion, is a, is a right tackle. I don't think he's going to make it as a left tackle in the NFL. Uh, and he's very young. Uh, I'm kind of question. I, I always question juniors, true juniors coming out because the mental strength, the mental uh, strength that you need to to be a left tackle. In my opinion, it's a skill position. Center, left tackle, quarterback. In my opinion, are the skill positions on the offense. The rest you can fill in any place you want in the draft. Uh, there are exceptions to every rule, but. You know, that's the way I value those top those three uh, positions. Uh, I value them highly. And, and Joko kid, you know, he had a quarterback that uh, left the pocket uh, faster than a speeding bullet. So I don't know how anybody can say this kid has got the talent to play left tackle at this point. And I've seen him get beat a lot of times, especially on the inside, which you're never supposed to get beat at. And his lateral agility is decent but uh, decent enough for right tackle, but I don't see it decent enough for left tackle. Now, there are systems that he could play in, like uh, a vertical play, op- play action uh, game there where he may be okay uh, to play left tackle because, you, you know, you've got that play action to kind of hold the defensive line, and, and once he gets his hands on you, he's good. Uh, but I think he's a little overrated. I, I think uh, Star Latui, who didn't get a chance to work out, who probably would have done fantastic in his workouts he's the type of guy i've seen uh, in the first quarter just beat the crap out of everybody and then you never see him game after game after game after game i watched him first quarter first few plays first uh times he was on the field he just ripped them apart and then you never saw him the rest of the game uh chance womack to me is a second round pick david de castro last year um, to me, was a decent ball player, good ball player, but a second-round pick, and the same with Chance Womack. Uh, very good run blocker, uh, questionable in pass blocking. Uh, Jarvis Jones, I think I didn't see anything on the film this year. I mean, I've seen it in the past, but I haven't seen it this year. Uh, and add the medical thing, and I think, you know, you're taking a big chance with Jarvis Jones. Uh, Demontre Moore, I, I, was, I don't know what the heck people are seeing there. I, I gave him a second-round grade only because – uh, he did hustle on the field, and he did work real hard, uh, but that was it. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I didn't, I didn't see anything that made me think he was going to be great in that thing. Jonathan Hankins, 
I wouldn't pick him until the fourth round. I mean, he's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> he's Venus de Milo, the way he blocks, the way he tries. He doesn't use his arms, doesn't use his hands, nothing. He just pushes people around. Um, Geno Smith, I think, is a good developmental quarterback. I put a third-round grade on him. Uh, I always expect quarterbacks to be taken earlier. Uh, if someone thinks that he's uh, good, it's just like Christian Ponder. I put a fourth-round grade on Christian Ponder, and he has struggled. And to me, that means it's going to take two or three years for these guys to really do, show anything, whereas Ryan Tannehill showed stuff right away, RG3 sto- showed stuff right away, uh, you know, Andrew Luck showed stuff right away. So that that's the difference, in my opinion. I think uh, Smith is is a little bit lacking in, in the football intelligent aspect of it. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure he can make all the throws, especially to his check downs and stuff. He, I, I don't think he has the touch yet. But, um, again, it's a tough position. Matt Barkley, I think, is the best player in the draft. I think it's a foolish to even think for a second that he could be one of the top players last year and not be a top player this year. They did the same thing to Jake, Jake Locker, uh, you know, and it, it was ridiculous. Having a, he didn't have a bad year. His team had a bad year, and if it wasn't for him, his team wouldn't even won three or four games. I mean, he, he actually had a better year. He threw more interceptions because he tried forcing the ball more and taking more chances because that defense was horrible. The offensive line was terrible. His two wide receivers are immature and dropped the ball quite a bit, uh, and he he had no running back. And he kept plodding away and putting. He was in every single game, so I don't get that Matt Barkley thing at all. It just just uh, shocks me. Um, Kawana Short is high up on the on the draft. I don't think he's good enough till the fourth round. So um, what I think about these players and the profiles I put will not have any effect on where they're drafted. And we'll only know if I'm right or wrong two or three years from now. And we put it out on the archives for free. So anybody can go and look a, look a ball player up uh, that plays for them and see what I said and see if it's come to fruition or not. Yeah, well, that, that's uh, that's a great way to to go back and and grade the draft for sure. And and I just want to go back to what you were mentioning about uh, you know Jokel not really being the uh, a locked locked in first you know left tackle first round pick and. I look at what the Chiefs did today, where they they tagged their quarterback or their left tackle uh, Albert. They they traded for Alex Smith. So to me, it looks like you know they they've decided that Jokel's not the direction they want to go in the draft. Uh, they must not be sold on him as the number one pick. Um, well, I, I, I just th- wondered what I your think- your thoughts. Yeah, I, I think what you're seeing, in my opinion, the, the best left tackle in this draft is a kid from Oklahoma. Uh, the reason for for that is he, he's, he's, he's a little thicker, a little bulkier. He, he hasn't reached his peak yet, uh, and he has all the athletic talent, and he has played the position. Uh, Eric Fisher, I like him. I think he's good, but he's a little light for me. And if I had my choice and most flipping coins, I'd go with the kid Johnson from Oklahoma rather than Fisher first. But either one of those two are definitely left tackles. They're pure shutdown left tackles. Uh, Joko, to me, there's more of a question mark. He will be drafted in the first round. No, I, I, I mean, it's silly for me to say he's not going to be drafted in the first round. Of course he will be. And that's what the value board is all around, uh, all about. Um, but, 
he will have to be in a in the right system for him to be successful as a left tackle rather than the other two guys can be in any system, a spread system, a pistol system, uh, you know, play action vertical, uh, whatever system you want to put them in, those guys will be successful. I think Jokel will be successful in one style of system, and that makes, you know, makes me think he's more of a right tackle than a left tackle. And uh, right tackles, to me, you can pick up late, you should be able to pick up later in the draft. Um, but the, the two guys who I think are outstanding and top ten picks are Fisher out of uh, Central Michigan and uh, and Lane uh, Johnson out of Oklahoma. Those two, to me, are the top guys. So if Kansas City were to go on the offensive side of the ball, and I really honestly believe they'll go on the defensive side of the ball, uh, I would think they'd be looking at Fisher or Johnson before they'd be looking at Joko. Okay. Yeah, and, and uh, another player there at the top of the board you, you mentioned earlier was a star Latulale, and and it's interesting, you know, this came out at the combine that he's got a heart condition, and, and they've got to figure that out. And, and then you were saying how watching his tape, he, he kind of fades in the second half. I don't want yeah. to go out on a limb too far, but um, you know, I wonder just off the top of my head if those two are uh, are linked in some way. If if his if he tires well, out early to, or, or something. Yeah, you have to think that way. I mean, if if those tests are true, and a lot of times they're kind of um, subjective at the at the time. You know, it could have been it could have had a heart murmur situation, which corrects themselves a lot of times. I mean, we're not quite sure that what they said, and they're not quite sure that what they said was actually what what is going on with this kid. Um, but let's just say for the sake of argument, it's true, and he, he he's had a bad valve and he's got a problem. I would have to think it's attached to, to his play on the field. And if it can be corrected, then, then I would have to say that he's, He's an outstanding ball player, and, and we'd have to kind of wipe out the fact that he, you know, disappears during the game uh, and give him the benefit of the doubt, in my opinion. Uh, but until they come up with that, you know, factual statement, I can only go by what I saw on the field, you know, the film and communicate to the best of my ability what I've seen on the film. Um, and I don't get real technical with things. I just say whether I think the guy, I'm a profiler, I'm not a scout, I'm going to profile the ability for this person to be good at the next level, and that ability is not only through talent but through intangibles, and, and how he plays on the field sends me signals to his intangibles, what kind of person he is, competitive spirit, etc. cetera. Um, and that's what I get into. And that would have to be a profile that would have to be readjusted, STARS profile, if, if uh, this heart condition is uh, is true because, uh, you know, you'd have to – You'd have to give him the benefit of the doubt. You'd have to. Sure. Do you think teams um, are going to be extra cautious in the wake of, you know, uh, it was I think it was Gaines Adams uh, out of Clemson a few years ago. He had a heart condition and, and you know, passed away at an extremely young age. Do you think um, teams are, are going to completely take him off the board? Uh, well, if it turns you know, out. it's the same thing with Jarvis Jones. And Jarvis Jones came out and he says, oh, he's been passed by a couple of medical people and this and that. But, again, you know, I'm looking at it from an owner's point of view. And from an owner's point of view, I'm saying there's there's not another player we can draft, guys. Seriously. Hmm. There's no other player we can draft. We have to play at draft. J- 
Javis, Javis Jones, he's going to be a Hall of Famer? Is that what you're saying to me? Because if he's not that, I, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I don't draft this kid till maybe the fourth or fifth round, and we all know he's not going to be there in the fourth or fifth round. In other words, basically saying in a nice way, take him off the board. Can you take that chance? Would you want to take that chance? If some, if some kid has had a history of concussions at the college level, will you draft him? Not me. I wouldn't draft him um, because I'm the owner, and it's my money, and, and that's how I think personally. And I think more teams are starting to think that way, and they're starting to interject those things, and the coaches and the GMs don't like it because this has been their little – you know, little club, their little playground that they've had for years that they've been able to, the one place they've been able to do whatever they want, whenever they wanted to, without anybody criticizing them, for years they've been able to do this. And now we're creeping all in here. Everybody's creeping in. The Internet's creeping in. Uh, you know, the, 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 we've gone, uh, pr- uh, you know, prime time with the picks now. The You know, it's it's gotten to the point where they're really getting aggravated with this. And, and some of them are saying, you know, we're going to pass them anyway. We're going to take them anyway. Well, you know, they took Dante Poe last year, and everybody that drafted him has been fired. So that's my theory about it. If you want to put your career up against Jarvis Jones' career, go ahead, draft him. That that would be my theory as an owner. That's what I would say to the coaches. If you think your career is worth picking him, then let's pick him. Let's see what happens. I bet you sure. ten to one they wouldn't do it. Yeah, and there, there's, you know, the coaching carousel gets fired up every couple of years, and and usually it doesn't take long to start linking these guys back to poor draft picks, and we'll look yeah. at how they drafted, and look at how they can't evaluate talent. So it doesn't take long to to link them back to these these picks. And the scary thing about it, and I say this in, 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 in the book, is that, you know, we get frustrated because in our businesses, we have to have some semblance of, of understanding and hiring people and figuring out whether they're going to be good for us or bad for us on limited information, on a resume and an interview. And these guys go through millions and millions of dollars to come up with these decisions that are garbage, I mean, Dante Poe, that decision last year was a bunch of nonsense. Now, Dante Poe could be, he could be a Hall of Famer, but for the information you have in front of you at the time, that was a horrible pick. I don't care what anybody says. Aaron Maben was a horrible pick. You knew he wasn't good. Why did you? Because you were going to coach him up? Well, you're fired. You're gone. You picked him and you're gone. And and that's the reality of it now. And these these coaches have better get on the stick. These GMs have better realize that taking these guesses and and it's not about money anymore. It's about whether these guys get on the field and sell tickets and show the fans that it's worthwhile to spend three hundred bucks a pop for tickets uh, to see this anymore. And if Luke Jokel's not going to be starting left tackle, and you're going to have to flip him over to the right side, you're you're on. You're on, you're on message, buddy. You know he's supposed to be your left tackle, and uh, so you know maybe you want to go to a, a more sure pick, you know, and 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 stop jerking around. And uh, you can't be sure of any of this stuff because you never know how well a, a kid is going to react to the the amount of money he gets. But there are ways to at least take an educated guess 
and you've got to stop taking the uneducated. Barcavius Mingo is a perfect example. He hasn't played very well all year long. I watched him on film. He goes to the combine. He lights it up. Do you draft him in the top 10? Do you draft him in the top 15? I wouldn't. I don't see it on the film. If you don't see it on the film, don't draft them. Let somebody else draft them. Don't draft criminals. Don't draft guys who don't play all year long. That's my theory. I, I think it's simple. Sure. So, so as you're um, as you're looking at your board and finalizing it, and and you see the ones of of uh, you know you've got Kuiper and and some of these guys, Mike Mayock. What's the name that you see at the top of their board that just makes you shake your head and, and say, these guys are completely missing the boat on this one? Well, Is there one name or two that just really stand out? The name that they don't have would be Barkley, which I, I just am amazed that they are believing the crap that's going on, the political nonsense to move Barkley down. And there's somebody that really wants Barkley bad because this has been going on for quite some time. Um, that's the one that really drives me crazy. The Chance Womack thing drives me nuts. The Jarvis Jones thing, I understand how people have decided uh, to put their foot in the ground, but I think they're ridiculous uh, to do that. But the Barkley one not being in the top ten this year, which is unusual. Usually I'm, I'm nuts about a player that's in the top ten and saying how crazy they are, like you suggested. But this time it's like, how can you possibly think that he would be as good as Andrew Luck last year and would have been picked instead of Ryan Tannehill, and then this year the kid is nothing? I mean, he's been a starter since high school in every winning team, and all of a sudden you're telling me he doesn't have an arm? You, you really? You want to go back to the to the to the film and show his arm? I mean, come on. So that's the one that really drives me absolutely berserk this year. The rest of them are all coming down and and coming about where uh, I kind of felt they would. The, the Donto Jones from UCLA, I, I, I think he's overrated, and he's starting to drop quite a bit, uh, but most of them are, 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 you know, it's hard for me to necessarily disagree with where they're rating him right now, and, and, and our board will move quite, the value board moves all the time, the talent board doesn't. Once I do the profile and put the talent on the, on the talent grade, it never changes. Uh, it can't change. That's, the, that's it. That's the way it goes. The value of where the player will be drafted changes constantly with the political wins of the draft, and that's the board that changes constantly. And um, right now I'm just, uh, you know, I, I expect Ansah, uh, Ezekiel Ansah from BYU to be in the top ten. I expect Dion Jordan to be in the top ten. Uh, I expect, um, I think, the uh, the kid that's a little low now that uh, I think will be uh, – uh, I'm trying to think of his name, trying to find his name here, from Florida State, uh, Sharif Floyd. Uh, I think he might mm -hmm. even be the pick in the draft. Um, he's he's that good. And and the Fisher. D. Milner, I'm not as hot on as other people are. I think he's a first-round pick, but, you know, I don't think he plays the 4-3 time. And I kind of think he plays when he wants to. Um, you know, but most of these guys uh, are – pretty well set and the guy that just shocks me not being in the top 10 is, is Barkley he just amazes me that he's not there 
so so come April 25th, uh, that Thursday night, where does uh, what team picks Barkley? What, what's your what's your prediction there? Well, there there is there are a lot. First of all, the uh, the Raiders have to decide what they're doing with their quarterback. I mean, if they're going to stick with Palmer, if they're going to you know what are they, what are they going to do? If they're happy with him, uh, then to me, you know, Barkley would pass that uh, that number three. Uh, now everybody says that's crazy, that's nuts. That's the reality. I mean, if you want to get the Raider fans excited and get them going, um, you pick a quarterback and you pick a guy who you think might be a franchise quarterback, and you drop the guy who who may who's been doing good hasn't given you your team anything. Uh, but I think the Raiders are going to go with Palmer. So by the time you get there, you get the Browns, uh, and I think the new GM for the Browns would fall in in love with Geno Smith before he'd fall in love with, with Barkley because of his arm. But he has to get past the Cardinals, and he has to get past the Bills. So th- there are there are three teams, two teams, that definitely need quarterbacks. That would be the Cardinals and the Bills. Two more teams that could pick a quarterback if they chose to, Browns and Raiders. Uh, so it's it's even possible, believe it or not, for three quarterbacks to go in the top ten, if I'm correct. I'm not saying they're going to happen right now. It's a possibility. I've seen stranger things happen. Uh, Ryan Nessip out of uh, Syracuse is an excellent quarterback. I consider him the second best quarterback in this draft behind Barkley. Some people consider him the best quarterback in this draft. Others consider him a second-round pick. I always say when you have a second-round pick on the quarterback, he has the potential to be picked in the top 15, top 10. Because if you don't pick him then, you're not going to get him in the second round. So there's a chance for actually three quarterbacks to go in the top 10 this year. And we'll know better with uh, free agency. Once free agency uh, 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 you know, enters the picture and people decide what they're doing, who they're cutting, who they're not cutting, um, and we're getting a little feel for that now. Um, but the Browns are a little bit of a wild card right now. Eagles also only signed Michael Vick to one year. They insist that Nick Foles is their guy. But, uh, you know, um, I, I'm not sure any of these quarterbacks fit what the Eagles want to do. But then again, we all don't know, don't know what the Eagles are going to do. We think they're going to bring in their college offensive system, but the reality is we don't know for sure. So um, you never know. But the, the Eagles are another team that could possibly go and pick a quarterback because they've only got uh, uh, Vic for one year. So um, it's a little of a uh, long shot there. Uh, we know the Lions aren't going to do it. We know the Jaguars are settled. We know the Chiefs have now been settled. Uh, so now you've got possibly the Raiders a long shot, the Browns, the Cardinals, and the Bills in the top ten possibly thinking about drafting quarterbacks. And that's why quarterbacks will possibly go in the, in the top ten. Well, I tell you what, as as a as a Lions fan personally, the the draft is is always my Super Bowl and and I I just love uh trying to get into it as much as possible and and uh you I obviously uh cover this thing a long time and, and have a, an amazing insight and and it's been uh uh it's it's been great hearing your take on it. I I could uh uh, I could go for hours, but uh, unfortunately, we only have one. So, um, 
you mentioned we we talked to your, you mentioned your book a few times, The Draftnik. It is available on Amazon. It's actually available also in uh, on iTunes. I, I downloaded it um, myself. And then you've got your your website, thehuddlereport.com. Uh, is, is there any other way? Do, do you got does your uh, website have a Twitter handle or or do you have other contributors? Anyone you'd like to throw out there for the listeners? Yeah, the Twitter is the Twitter is thehuddlereport.com. Uh, it's at at the huddle report, uh, and that's the Twitter. Um, we we don't uh, w- what we do with the Twitter is I don't fo- we don't follow anybody. We don't take information from anybody as far as um, uh, you know what's going on. Uh, you know inside information because inside information to me is planted information. I come from a political background. <laughs> and, uh, I've seen this stuff for years in politics and uh you know it's probably one of the things that that also interests me about the draft is when i when i hear somebody saying something i i read right between the lines and see it right away you know re- recently the oakland raiders said uh they're interested in geno smith and i just looked at that and just chuckled you know because that that was a way for them to say we're interested in trading our pick that had nothing to do with <laughs> that they were putting feelers out to see if anybody was interested in the quarterback and what quarterback somebody might be interested in, and if somebody raised their hand, then everybody in the league would know who was interested in the quarterback. So um, I kind of see those things, and, and and whether I'm right or wrong, that's the way I see them. So I'm not into following other people and trying to get information out of them. Our information is our information. We've done this for quite a few years. Uh, both of us have been involved in the draft for 30-some years. The website's been on since 2001, so we kind of know what we're doing, and uh, we we got a pretty good record and pretty good track record, and we have some NFL teams that deal with us, and and um, you know we, we're we're pretty we're pretty comfortable with the way we uh, evaluate things. So uh, the information that you're going to get on on our Twitter is just going to be about site day updates, et cetera, and and I might say a few things once in a while that might annoy people but that's about it <laughs> <laughs> well i uh hopefully people will go out and follow your stuff um it's been a great conversation uh tonight i really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your insight it's uh um you know it's just great i'm i'm ready for the draft tomorrow but we got to wait another six weeks or so <laughs> yeah well so. i'm a little long-winded i know but i want to thank you too for for having me on i really appreciate it and uh you know go to the huddle report and uh don't be afraid to subscribe it's uh 15 for the whole year and uh you know if you we've been we've been for 10 years and uh, we always say this if you don't like it we'll give you your money back and in 10 years time we've never had to give anybody their money back so um everybody seems to be very pleased with it so uh feel free to take a look at all the free stuff on it and the archives are free and and uh you know the years from years before 2001 right on the uh the value board and the talent boards are up there and you can see players and go through the archives and see who got picked and didn't get picked and you can evaluate who should be fired and who got fired so <laughs> so um thank you very much for having me on i really appreciate it all right, Drew. Thanks for thanks for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. All right, bye now. Bye. bye. All right. Well, that was a, a great conversation with uh, Drew from uh, the Huddle Report and uh, author of the book, The Draft Nick. Uh, obviously, very passionate about this, and 
and I just love talking about the draft and, and players and breaking down. So that that's very exciting. So um, we're getting getting even closer to the draft. I'm ready to to see these picks start coming off the board. Uh, I'm gonna gonna wrap tonight with uh, uh, my extra point and wanted to touch tonight on the uh, Joe Flacco contract. Um, this season, I've been extremely hard on Joe Flacco, and I'll admit probably more than, than he deserved. Um, really highly critical of him during the regular season and even heading into the playoffs. But I, I definitely give him credit as he went to the uh, to the playoffs and got deeper into the playoffs. He really stepped up and led his team, and, and um, he won the Super Bowl, and, and you can never take that away from him, and, and I would definitely not do that. The only thing I caution is, you know, the, the guy had uh, a great postseason this year and he won the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean he's the best player in the NFL and deserving of, of some huge contract and highest paid quarterback contract. And people aren't going to want to hear this, but, you know, the, the guy has not had sustained success in the league. Yes, he's taken his team to the playoffs every year that he's been in. Um, they went to the AFC Championship last year, but this team was a tipped ball from a Bronco safety from being out of the playoffs, and most likely Flacco was going to be out on the street chasing down a free agent contract. So, you know, let's see. Maybe next year he comes out and, and lights it up. I hope so. You know, looking at the stats from this year, he's middle-of-the-road quarterback ranking. Uh, he was 14th in the league in yards. He was behind Cam Newton, Carson Palmer, Josh Freeman in passing yards this season. Now, I know people are going to say, well, you know, some of these guys are behind, so they're chucking the ball over the field all the time, so that's not really a great uh, measure. And I agree, you know, you can't always look at the stats and make out of it what you want, but it's definitely something to consider. You look at touchdowns. He had 22 touchdowns against 10 interceptions. That puts him tied for 15th in the league. Overall, that's about the 20th best quarterback in the league. Uh, you know, again, he, he's behind Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's behind Carson Palmer in total touchdowns. And, and you know, we'll see. You know, Eli Manning he came, you know, was was highly criticized early in his career and didn't really do a great job uh, putting up some huge stats, but has come on. And, and maybe Flacco will grow, but I just think that's a lot of money to pay to a guy who's middle-of-the-road quarterback. But, hey, if he wins two or three more Super Bowls, then obviously the, the Ravens will, will come out on top. So uh, that's my extra point for tonight. I appreciate everyone tuning in and listening. Uh, a great, great show with uh, Drew coming on and giving his insight on the draft. Uh, Really a lot of great information, and uh, we'll be continuing our conversation the rest of the off season. So working on some guests for next week, but appreciate everybody tuning in, and uh, have a great week, and we'll be back here next Monday. So have a great night. Thank you. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.